to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Well, Allison, welcome to Momnificent. Where are you enjoying Momnificent from today? From New York City, actually. Are you guys getting the snow that we are? Oh, it's crazy. A little bit. We only got a little. We got quite a lot. And I have tall, I have long windows, so we're watching the snow. Isn't it so pretty? It's so beautiful. I love watching it. So little of it this year. Yeah, yeah. We just like, I always say if it's going to be cold, it needs to snow. Like, (laughs) otherwise, I I really don't like the frigid, rigid temperature. Um, So can you just start us out uh, telling our listeners a little bit about you and then I'll get into um, your story. So my name is Allison Penn. I call myself Bad Widow because after I lost my husband in 2016, what I discovered is people have no idea how to deal with someone who's lost a spouse. And so very often they say, say the wrong things and do the wrong things. Um, He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2015 and he fought to live for 11 months. And then on September 10th, 2016, he died in my arms at home. Um, And it was unbelievable. My entire world blew up in that moment. So the future that we had imagined together was gone. The man I had loved for 25 years was gone. And it wasn't like there is grief in divorce, but the grief of a death is different. That person no longer exists on the planet. You will never see them or touch them again. And that's just devastating. And for my friends who are widows with children, that parent will never see their father again. All those occasions that parents celebrate together won't happen in the way that you imagined they would happen. And um, as as I, we fought for his life, um, there was sort of grieving that went on through that. A lot of my uh, widow friends are, um, I met through Gilda's Club, which is a cancer support place. And so we had the experience, most of us, of going through months and months of illness before the death. And there was grief in that. There was grief in the um, seeing my husband get weaker and weaker, go from 263 pounds, 246 pounds, to being so much heavier than he was, 30 to 40 pounds heavier than he was, And he was 6'3", I'm 5'3", that I would have crushed his bones if I'd put any weight on him. So then he died in my arms 
And I was suddenly a widow with all the feelings collapsing down upon me, grief, fear, anger, shame. And because we don't talk about grieving and how we grieve, we typically are trying to make other people comfortable as we grieve. I used to hear a lot, I didn't mean to make you cry. And I would think, well, I just lost the man I loved for 25 years. I have no energy to reach out. I have no energy to do anything. I can't count on it. You know, I can't count on going to work and having the energy to make it through an eight-hour day. My friends who are widows with children, they had to get up and take care of their children when they felt lost and when they didn't feel like themselves, as I did. Some other physical manifestations of grief are uh, memory loss or memory gaps. This really gets in the way when you're trying to make appointments or keep appointments. And the final thing was inability to focus. So inability to, to, to pay attention for a period of time. For me, that showed up like um, I was a trained as a proofreader and editor, but I had no memory and no ability to focus, so I couldn't do that work. I was a coach who had no capacity to deal with people. And one of the things that happens when you're grieving a loss is you're really impatient with people's, I'm, I'm just going to say it, people's stupidity. And yet it's unfair to get angry because nobody talks about what this experience is from the inside because it would make other people uncomfortable. And so what happens is one of two things, the person grieving crushes down the feelings. Don't be sad, don't be angry in public because you might make other people uncomfortable and you might be uncomfortable being that visible and that vulnerable. Bad Widow came about because I thought that there needed to be someone modeling what inside the raw looked like. Those times when I was a competent, capable, effective person, and my husband died, four breaths in my arms, and I wasn't. I was completely lost. There were days when I could get a lot done, and there were days when if I could put my foot on the ground and go to the restroom. That was all I could do that day. And I never knew day to day what it would be. So there was some existing, there was some, I would lie in bed and I would think of a reason to be alive that day. Something to look forward to. Okay, today I have lots of energy, so I'm going to do this, 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 and this. Today, I have no energy. There are breakdowns that happen when you're grieving that are unexplainable. They don't make sense at all. So I had about five seconds after I remembered I was hungry to get to the kitchen before I forgot again. 
and I started to um, create what I called nets for myself. So the net for not being able to remember that I was hungry was putting baskets of power bars around the house. So I didn't have to tr trust my memory. I could also trust my eyes. I had signs. There was a day, and each of these came about when something went wrong, like badly wrong. Missed an appointment. I wound up with my best friend made me a sign that said wallet, coat, um, wallet, coat, keys, shoes. And that came about because there was a day when I walked out the door in my slippers and I walked a block and a half through the streets of New York going to an appointment before I realized that I had slippers on. And the only reason I realized that I did not remember was because my heels got cold. The wind was blowing on my heels in my slippers. And quite honestly, as a person who's grieving, it makes you feel like you're absolutely crazy. Because it doesn't make sense that a reasonable person, an adult competent person would have these things happen and yet they do. So Bad Widow came about because I wanted people to know that this is normal. There are moments when this is normal. Grief isn't a linear path. Okay, I'm through the grief and now I'm gonna go to anger and now I'm gonna go to this and now I'm gonna go to that. Sometimes every emotion crashes down on you at the same time. Anniversaries are really hard. Yeah, I was going to ask you what it was like to hit the first anniversary, the first Christmas or whatever you, holidays you celebrate. Like, what, how was that for you? And what would you say to someone who it might be, they may be facing that coming up very soon? Absolutely horrifying. So he died on September 10th. October 5th would have been our 20th wedding anniversary. And what did you, yeah, what were your feelings? What did you end up doing or not doing, really? Uh, basically, I cried all day. I cried all day. And for me, as a person who didn't have children, I could do that. But a lot of the parents that I know are afraid to cry publicly in front of their children because they don't want them to be frightened. And what do you say to them about that? That the thing that everyone wants to know, children and other people, is that you're okay, mm. that you're not broken. And this is one of the biggest things that I say to people who are grieving. You're not broken. You're heartbroken. But that's a very different thing. And heartbroken feels like broken a lot. Yeah. Right? So if you can explain to your children, find a way to explain to your children, and obviously this means is age appropriate, is what is appropriate for your relationship with your children, your relationship, are they older, are they younger, you know, I do not presume to tell anyone how to do this because grieving is this individual journey that's actually communal. Hmm. Everybody on the planet grieves something. Yeah. Hey there, it's Karn. I hope that you're enjoying the show. And by the way, if you're a mom who wants to learn how to help your child when they're struggling behaviorally or facing challenges in school, 
Get started today by getting my free short video course, Three Steps to Happy Healthy Kids, at www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in learning how to have a happy, healthy life with your kids. So head on over to www.educationalimpactacademy.com forward slash free video and grab your free gift today. Yeah, we just don't hear about it. So then when you go through it, you think you're the only one or like this exact scenarios you're, you're playing out on a normal day. Someone would be like, that's absolutely crazy. And probably some days you are like, this is crazy, but I, I love that you're a voice out there helping others with this because you're showing them that it's okay and it's it's perfectly normal to be wherever you are in that process. And I love your vulnerability to share your story because it's like, here's the things that I went through that were like, that's kind of difficult to say out loud. I'm a grown adult and I'm going through things that make me feel like a seven-year-old at moments um, or even younger. And yet it gives, it just gives people the space to say, it's okay, whatever I'm going through and, and my process is today. It's, I think that's a huge break because we have this thing in front of us that's like, I should, I shouldn't. I, you know, this, this whole like ideal of what we should and shouldn't be in any situation we live in. And it's just a bunch of baloney. Yeah, and I, I really do encourage people to find a way to ha have the conversation with the other people around them, whether their children or their family, to find a way to communicate that tears don't mean broken. Tears mean the expression of feelings. Because when we silo ourselves that way, I remember when my husband was sick, we were both grieving, we were both scared. And we didn't want to scare the other person. So we didn't share the fact that we were going through basically similar experiences as we marched towards his end. And when we were able to communicate that we were both grieving and we were both sad and it wasn't even the end yet, we could do it together. And so if the people around you know that you're okay. The other thing that I hear a lot and experienced a lot is people giving advice when they have no idea what they're talking about. So what's your advice to those people? <laughs> so my advice to those people is to have a conversation and listen to what that person says, okay. because what each person needs might be different. So it might be, hey, could you just take my young kids for a few hours so I could take a shower and cry in the shower without scaring them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, could you go to an exercise class with me? Hey, could we just go out and have a normal meal and not talk about death or tell stories? So for everyone, it's, it's unique and individually individual, but because people don't actually know what to do, it's really useful to have the people who support you listen to what you say, make a suggestion based on what they heard, and follow through. Because then what they're offering is what you actually need. Yeah. And you're not assuming. And they have the best of intentions, but yet it could be doing the complete opposite of what they think they want to do to help and support. And it really clearly is not feeling that way. 
Right, exactly. And everybody means well. That's what I discovered. Everybody means well. But people are so scared of getting it wrong when it's a widow. They're so scared of getting it wrong that if they don't have a clear guideline about what to do and how to do it, they won't do anything. Yeah, which then makes it look like they are not sincere, caring, and open. What about this 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 phrase that that I've used and learned over time when someone's going through something difficult and I haven't experienced it myself? Yep. How would it have felt to you if I had said something like, "I can't imagine what you're going through because I haven't gone through it," but what? But but I'm really sorry about what's happened. And then maybe you, I could just say something like, "What do you need from me?" Or what what's what's something I can do? Or Help me with that end question that in your situation, what you would have appreciated people said to you. Yeah, that's a really, really good question because the person who's grieving, all they want is that person that they lost back. That's all they want. And the person who's asking can't do that. So it's more useful to say something like, hey, tell me what's going on for you. So so I can see if I can figure out. So, so asking, what can I do for you? Or I'm here for you. The person who's grieving has no energy to reach out, has no energy to figure that out for you. There are things, if it's a parent reaching out to a parent who's grieving, there are things that you know as parents that other parents need. A play date. Taking the kids for a time. Right. So there are things that if you're a parent, you know that parents need. But the thing that's really dangerous is assuming that you know, is doing this. And this happens actually a whole lot. People give advice based on what they think they would want if they were in your position. And they've never been through it. And they haven't been through it. (laughs) Yeah. Impossible. And, and not mean, not malicious right, in right. any way. They have the best of intentions, but they're getting it all wrong. And I think, didn't you, didn't you also say that you had to like remove yourselves from some people just to then get to back to who you are? Because tell us a little bit about how all of a sudden you realized, who am I? What do I like? Because you've done everything with this person and for this person. And there's some things you were saying on another interview where it, which really just... I, I would love you to share more about like you had to like find who you were again. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's really complicated because the fact of the matter is that you're not the same person as you were before you lost your spouse. If you're grieving the loss of a significant other, you're not that person. You'll never be that person again. And what people do is they hearken back to what they had, which is, impossible because it's not real it's not there it's not that is not what is today but but psychologically that's got to be such a like in an instant it has changed nothing's nothing (laughs) nothing else has changed on one hand but yet that person is is gone like nothing's changed but everything's changed it's just a weird yeah in in 25 years you're more of a we than an i And so if you've been with someone for a length of time, you may be more of a we than an I. You may not actually know who you are as an I and who you are as a widow. So I was single. I was a wife. I was a widow. When I became a widow, I had no idea what that meant. 
one of the things it meant was that my couple's friends no longer invited me over. So there are people who will leave because now you're a single woman, supposedly. Um, so it's complicated because you're not the same person and you need to figure out who that person is. And the, the point at which I actually start working with people typically is when they hit that line of demarcation where they have the love as a piece of who they are, piece of their history. I still refer to my husband as my husband. I didn't choose for us to part. And I have a boyfriend whom I love, who I've been with for three years. So it's a very weird thing. And it's a thing that I've heard from every single widow I've ever met. We contract when we grieve, when we experience a devastating loss. We naturally contract. We need to heal. That means less people, less activities. Coming back out again doesn't happen automatically. It's a choice. Now, making that choice and trying to hearken back to who you were when you can't be that again is immensely frustrating and devastating and actually prolongs the, the, the really hurtful piece of grieving. Well, grief is hurtful like all the way through. So that's not actually true. But it, it, it really, it keeps you stuck in something that's no longer possible. If you can accept that there's this line of demarcation before and after the loss, and the before person is not the after person, and this is really hard for the people around you as well. So family and friends expect you to bounce back to who you were. Because they don't know you any other way either. And as you're actually, I'm going to excuse the word, even though you tell me, because you know, we're not a you're redefining yourself. They might be like, wait, who, who, who are you? And what, what are you? Because it's new for them. Exactly. And some of them might not even ever be able to uh, get, get like, be okay with that for a while or a shorter or a longer time. Right. Or ever. Or I mean, ever. people step back and step out. It is a, a very common experience to feel abandoned because time starts going differently for the person who's grieving. What do you mean by that? Yeah, go ahead. What do you mean by that? Yeah, for the person who's grieving, the biggest thing is what's just happened, this loss. So everything else, work, not children, but work, everything else, social life is the backdrop. Mm -hmm. Secondary. To the loss. For everybody who's not grieving, everything else is in the foreground. So they're moving along with their lives. And for you, time has slowed down to deal with this great loss. And so they're sort of ready for you to get back in the swing of things because it feels to them like you should be able to get back to where that's the foreground, except it takes a really long time. First year was all grief. Second year was zero to rage in five seconds. Needless to say, with other people in the midst of all this, I was not always graceful. I lost people. 
for parents, one of the things that I have heard a lot is, well, I'm just going to exist until the kids are grown up. What that does is it encapsulates the grief to deal with later. It's an individual journey, but I do encourage going through it, not putting it off. Because imagine this, what happens is you're waiting for the kids to grow up. It's 15 years. Okay, now I'm ready. But everyone around you thinks you're already 15 years over it. Mm -hmm. And then the grief rises. Especially if it comes down to, okay, I lost the love of my life. I'm not willing to be alone for the rest of my life. But how in the world do I do this? I met my husband in my 30s. I lost him when I was in my 50s. I had no idea what I was doing. And I'd been with this man. So there was no, I was only accustomed to his touch for 25 years. My head knew he was dead. My heart and my body, not so much. And the grief rises with the joy. For a long time, once I decided I was ready to date, if someone tried to kiss me, I had a panic attack. Like full on, get away from me. Don't touch me. But what I realized was that, and, and the whole work that I do is how do you actually move through this in some kind of a way that makes sense? You know, mm -hmm. the first thing you need to do is figure out who you are. How do you do that? You go into where you're most comfortable, where you're most at home. So is that at work? Is that in your one-on-one -on -one relationships? Is that with community? When you lean into those, whichever yours is, you start coming back to yourself. Wife is a role. Widow is a role. Single is a role. Parent is a role, right? Mm -hmm. When things get thrown up in the air, not being a parent, but everything else, then who are you? Coming back to yourself enables you to make better decisions, be more confident in the actions. The other thing that grief does is it really shakes up your confidence in yourself, in your oh. mind, in your body. Yeah, in what way? Can you help, help me understand that more? Yeah, um, because I was a person who was did for a living memory and focus tasks, proofreading and editing, when I lost Dave and suddenly my memory was gone. I literally would lose pockets of time, 10 minutes, an hour, a day, and not be able to tell you what I did. It's like driving when you're like, what did I just do? I can't even tell you what I just drove. But imagine that within your work or your normal functioning day, like that could freak you out. Freak me out. Oh my God. It yeah. feels completely crazy because I was, you know, not that old. Right. <laughs> and yet suddenly, and, and so all these doubts and fears about who am I, will I ever get back? Right. So for example, 
I had these memory gaps early on, you know, in the first two years, really. Um, and after Dave died, I was one of the things I did because it's important to move the emotions through your body. What's that mean? So people, it is pretty common to try and stuff down the grief, stuff down the anger. Yeah. They're not polite emotions. They're not emotions that either we or anyone else is very comfortable being around. And so we stuff them down, except volcanoes, when they erupt, are ugly. Yeah. Right? So one of the things that I did when my husband was sick, I had wanted to sing cabaret in a cabaret show on a stage for 10 years. And I was scared. And one of the things that happens when you're facing the person you love most, when you're facing the ending of the two of you, is you get brave. So the things that are scary get a lot less scary when one of the scary things is. Right. Yeah. And so I did two cabaret shows while my husband was sick. The last one was the Tuesday before the Saturday he died in my arms. And the songs I picked were to remind me that I was going to be more than a widow, that I would live. So two of the songs that I sang that last Tuesday were I Will Survive, Gloria Gaynor, and The Secret of Happiness, which was The Secret of Happiness is Being Present, Being Absolutely Present. So after he died, I was in another cabaret show and... My memory had back back when failed me. So I got up on the stage to sing and I had been rehearsing and memorizing for months and everything flew out of my head. Oh no. Because I had lost trust in my body and my memory. So that's kind of a a long-term effect when something happens after the actual death and then down the road, you're so afraid it'll happen again that you sabotage yourself. So are you saying that whatever emotion you feel, just let it, let it out as ugly or as difficult as it is, let it out because it's better than suppressing it because you're thinking, oh my gosh, I can't be this, say, do that right now. It's just going to like, or whatever anybody else is going to think, or your own self. Is that part of, is, is that what I'm also hearing you say? Yeah. So the singing moved the emotion through my body, the grief, it moved it through my body and it, and it created a collective experience because I was sharing these songs with other people. And so there was this connectiveness as I was grieving and my patter was about what was going on. So they were in it with me, sharing it with me. And there's a great power to that. Yeah. And, and that's all people want it, it's is so to be true. connected and to help. Um, it's different for everyone. So it might be movement. It might be exercise. It might be singing. It might be art. It's really individual. Mind singing. But every single mode of moving emotion through the body is valid if it fits you when you're going through something like this. 
And so when you start working with people who've experienced this, a loss, a loss of a loved one or a close one, um, you talk about three things you focus on when working with them. Can you help us understand what they are? Absolutely. Um, once you've sort of reconnected to who you are and started to get grounded, then the next thing is to re-engage. We lose trust in ourselves, other people, and the world we live in. So how do you get back out into the world? It's a matter of looking at what will expand your horizons. And it really requires saying, yes, I needed to contract to heal, but now I want a bigger life. Now I want to do more than exist. Now I want to find a way to live again. But you probably don't know how to do that. I didn't know how to do that. What living looked like without my husband, I had no idea what that meant. So it was try something. Now, I, I couldn't be a coach because I couldn't deal with people. I couldn't be an editor or proofreader because I had no memory or ability to focus. So nothing I was trained for was I able to do. And you even said you couldn't even do something eight hours a day. You, you, you could only find something that was like four hours a day. I thought that was really important to note. Yeah, I wound up, I had a widow friend who was, I mean, who's going to hire someone for four hours? But I had a widow friend who got it. And she had a Halloween pop-up store. And I knew that I could hang costumes on racks. Like I could do that. And even still, those four hours especially at the beginning, I would come home and collapse after four hours of hanging costumes. doesn't seem like a big thing, but what I realized was I needed to take a baby step back into more capable. I needed to re-engage and start finding ways to trust myself. And I wasn't who I was. I, I wasn't able to bounce back to who I was but I could start on the path. I could take one piece of trust back, another piece of trust back and expand my capacity. The second piece is reinvent. So since you're not the same person that you were, you have to reinvent yourself and you have to figure out who that person is. If you're with someone for a long time, as I was, or even a short time, there are things that are we activities. And after 25 years, there are a lot of those. There are also when you start and you get together with someone, there are things you give up. Oh, well, he loves that more than I do, but I'll just go along. So I had to look at all the things that were us things and figure out which of them were my things. He did not love the open mics. I love doing open mics. Open mic singing and open mic poetry are two things that I do. Self-expression, self-care are key when you're going through grief. Yes, tell us about that because I know you had to realize and recognize what that, that self-care was so important that you made it such a priority. And, and can you touch on that? I think that's really, really important. Yeah, I, what I realized at a certain point, I realized self-care was important. I also realized that when I was exhausted, I couldn't think of anything, not a thing to do. And so I reached out to my friends who are really good at self-care and I said, bring it. Give me a list of your best 
self-care tips specifically, like literally down to best restaurants, best walks, best everything. And I got a list of a hundred self-care tips. What that meant was that when I recognized that I needed self-care, but I couldn't think, I had nothing. I could barely get out of bed. I could go to that list and I could say, yes, but I can do this one. And by starting to fill myself up, I could start to come back to myself. So that was really important, but reinvent required figuring out, getting some clarity on what that was for me now. Not as who I was, but as who I am. The final thing was uh, rebuilding communities. So there were people who stepped back and who stepped out. When someone would say or do something stupid. So I'll, I'll give you an example. About three days after my husband died, this artist friend of his called up and said, would you mind putting aside some of his shirts that I can wear while I paint because I'm missing him so much? I'd lost my husband two days before. I mean, I was speechless, absolutely speechless. I, I, You're missing him? Yeah. And you want me to give you something when I have lost to what felt like your entire world? Everything. Wow. Everything. Wow. It's really hard to let go of things. So my husband left me. He had a studio. He was a professional artist. The painting behind my head is one of his paintings. And left me 546 paintings and watercolors in a studio. <laughs> and I had to close up the studio. I couldn't afford two places with one income in New York City. So I had to close up the studio and bring everything home. So in from a 500 square foot studio to a 750 square foot apartment, I moved 546 paintings. And they still live here. They still live here. Um, when I, so one of the things that I wanna say about that is letting go of things is hard, is hard, is especially hard if you have kids. What do you keep? What do you let go of? And if possible, do only the low-hanging fruit. Do only the things that have no emotional charge. And sometimes it's not possible. Don't worry about what the person who's gone wants. Because at this point, it's your choice. And I will, I will say it feels like betrayal to let go of anything. Yeah. And this was especially true with the paintings. His life's work. How dare I let go of a single unfinished work? And yet to make space for your life, you have to. The hardest pa passage through grief was opening myself up to love again. 
this is an individual choice. I wanted to be with someone for the rest of my life. I decided that I was entitled to epic love affairs, not just one. Because for all its ups and downs, my husband and I loved each other a lot. And there were a lot of ups and downs because any marriage takes work. It just does. And so I was not interested in diminishing what I had with my husband, whom I lost, but I wanted to build another love affair for myself for the rest of my life. When I was ready, and the last time I had dated was 1992, <laughs> it was 2018. <laughs> to even say that year out loud, right? <laughs> right? 92, well. <laughs> I decided I was going to find a way to start dating again. What I knew already was that if I experienced even a spark of desire, looked at a man and thought, oh, that's nice, grief rose. So I knew it would not necessarily be an easy journey for me. People have all different reactions. Right afterwards, my my friends who were parents had it in some ways easier than I did because they had physical touch. They had children to hug them. I was not touched. Especially if that's one of your top love languages. Yeah. That can really. uh, Devastating. Yeah. You just don't really know how to go on without that. Yeah. And I hadn't realized how how much I took that for granted until it was gone, gone. Yeah. Um, but my head knew my husband was gone. My heart and my body did not. I was only accustomed to the weight of his hand at my waist. It was only accustomed to his skin against mine. And so what happened was I couldn't trust my own body chemistry. And I literally felt revulsion for a long time. If someone tried to touch me, tried to kiss me, tried to anything. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, this is give me a hug, put an arm around my waist. This is not big stuff. Right. And I knew that I needed to be responsible for my own reactions. I needed to really own what was mine, what was his, and what was ours. Because then if I could figure out, if I felt desire, wanted to kiss someone, and then had a a strong visceral reaction, that was mine to deal with, not to lay off on anyone else. If I was having a disagreement with the guy I was with, That was a communication with him. And if it was something between us, that was something for us to handle together. But if I could own my stuff, if I could figure out which of those three it was, then I knew what to do next. So rebuilding was a lot about what do I need? What am I wanting? When I 
I decided to go, go on a dating app. It's the Wild West. <laughs> it's truly the Wild West. <laughs> I love that. But I had no energy to, to be around a lot of people and cull through people. So I thought, if I'm sifting and sorting the same way as reinventing, if I'm sifting and sorting, I needed to figure out who I was in the matter of love. Because the last time I chose was 1992. It's a lot of life between then and now. Yeah. And I needed to, and, and so basically what I did was I wrote my profile to describe myself as clearly as I could. So I said, prefer rocky beaches to sandy ones. And my purpose was to deselect, have the people who didn't like what I liked deselect themselves. I did not have the energy to get rid of them. <laughs> Right. I wanted them not to choose me because all I needed was people who wanted me as I was. Yeah. The hot mess that I was and who were willing to go through what it was going to take me to get to the other side. I wrote a book called The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss, Moving Through Grief to Live in Love Again. Because, which includes all of all of this, lots of stories of really what it's like from inside the raw. Because what you need to know is you're not crazy. And what you need to know is that life has possibility for you, future for you. And when you face that, and even when you went through these years since then, and whatever it took you to actually write the book, would you say that it was hard for you to find resources or connections or people out there that 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 you could identify with with what you went through and that it was okay what you were going through or is that also why you wrote this book because you you hope it is a resource because there there should be more of it out there that makes it more I don't want to say commonplace but like yeah it's okay that you're going through this and that, and here's how yeah, I, I wrote the book because when I was looking for resources, I found a lot of people saying, well, I went through this and now that I'm on the other side, this Here's is how life. I got through it. And, and it didn't explain the mm. craziness. It didn't explain how overwhelming and disturbing and confusing it all was. Because after the fact, People were writing when they looked good again. Uh, so different. So different. So different. And I think when people read that, they may not even relate to it because they're not there. But I, I mean, I haven't even read your book, but because you're probably writing your book in there, in that moment, that's where it draws the people away because they're like, that's me today. Yeah. I mean, there's a woman who's in a, a widow's group I'm in and she wrote a review on Amazon. She said, now I know I'm normal. See, and that's why I wanted to bring you on this podcast, because there are people listening who don't who, who could be beating themselves up for where they are today and they don't have to. And they can realize they I, I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. Yep. There was a, another yeah. review that I got, which was a woman who actually wasn't had never been married, but had gone through a lot of grief experiences. And she said, this is one of two books that I found after massive looking 
that actually explains my experience, validates my experience, and gives me a path forward. See, and and that's why thank you so much for writing this book. And that's what sets your book apart from so many others that are sitting there. And um, I, I know we only have a few minutes left, but I just want to thank you, A, for coming on here, sharing your story with each and every one of us today, and really giving hope because someone listening might know someone who needs to hear your story, and we can pass this on to them and really be there to support each other and band together and be like, you know what, you're not alone, <laughs> and this is what I'm going through, and it's okay, and what you're fe fe feeling and facing, it's okay and there's nothing wrong with you it's just finding out like you said who you are re-engage reinvent i love how you said like find find the thing that you're most comfortable with and and start back there again that's such a beautiful beautiful first step to invite us um, on this journey so um be, before i have you back on this show at another time because i could i could keep talking to you <laughs> Why don't today we leave with how someone can find and follow you and I'll add in the description notes the link to your book. Um, the best way to find me is I have a website called badwidow.com. So that is where you find everything about me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, thank you on behalf of all the women and individuals and people out there at any age that is going through anything. Um, sometimes, you know, you, you've made, you've stepped out, you've been vulnerable, you've created this for people and, and you may or may not always hear the response of how it's impacted and affected someone's life and really helped them and give them, given them hope. So on behalf of all of them, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for having me on. Well, that's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.